copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, or you have one on your phone, and you can turn on your Bible to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Those of you watching online, we're so grateful to have you today. And you can go and bake a cake and eat it at home. And so, uh, because it would be really hard to mail to you, especially some of you that are in different places around the country and the world. But we're so grateful to have you here this morning. Let's stand as we read God's Word. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. We do a lot of standing, but it'll be good for a four-hour sermon. Verse 23. The Bible says, And he said to all, to said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." But I tell you truly that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now turn to verse 57, or it'll be on the screen. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury the dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You may be seated. Well, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, How many of you are cheering for the Kansas City Chiefs? How many of you are cheering for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Well, I just want you to know we have a special church service tonight at 630. Uh, It's going to be at your home, and we'll take an online offering, all right? Just kidding. You know, uh, we, people love football. People in America love football. Maybe you're in this room and you say, I hate football. But here's one thing you have to admit. Tom Brady is pretty impressive. 43 years old. You know, I'm today celebrating the 8th anniversary of my 29th birthday, and I know some of you from Chuliota may have to figure that out. What's he saying there? (laughs) Oh, that was bad. Anyway, Tom Brady is playing in his 10th Super Bowl. Do you know who's number two in the all-time number of Super Bowls? John Elway with five. Tom Brady was drafted uh, in 1999, and he was the 199th pick. Now, listen, I'm not telling you how much I love Tom Brady. I can't stand the guy because of his hair, okay? But what I'm telling you is that he didn't get where he was by taking the easy way out, right? As a matter of fact, you know, most people that are in the NFL that didn't just float there. Uh, talent may get you there, but it's going to be hard work and determination that will keep you there. But you know, there's over 100,000 high school seniors who will play football uh, around America. And, and do you know that only 0.2% of them will make it in, onto an NFL roster? Uh, that's about 215 of them. It's amazing the, uh, the incredible amount of hard work it takes to be a player in the professional football league. Now you say, Pastor, why are you telling me that? Because we're doing a series on discipleship, and I think that many people believe that being a follower of Jesus is easy. It's not. C.S. Lewis said that discipleship means discipline. A disciple, as we've told you, 
uh, in a de- definition is someone who follows Jesus in faith and lifestyle and helps others do the same. That's the definition that we have come up with here as a staff. And, and, and we are called to be disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. Just as you saw Leuva uh, take her step of baptism today, every time someone is baptized, we don't say, this is the finish line, you're done. What we say is that, no, this isn't the finish line. Baptism isn't the finish line. It's the starting line. It's the beginning of you becoming more like Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. God wants you to be a disciple maker. And we looked at these convictions, and that is this, that God wants to use us, God has empowered us, and God is with us. But just because God is with us and wants to use us and has empowered us doesn't mean it's easy. And so here in our passages, we see that bearing out. Now, Jesus in Luke chapter 9 has now put his face towards Jerusalem. Peter has just confessed that great confession in Caesarea Philippi where he said, you are the God's, you are God's Messiah. You are the Messiah King. And Peter in that moment when he was proclaiming, wasn't doing that on his own. It wasn't flesh and blood that revealed that to him. It was the Spirit of God. But even though the Spirit of God has told him who Jesus was, Peter didn't completely understand who Jesus was. And I'll tell you, you don't completely understand who Jesus was. If you can completely understand who Jesus is, he's not God. But yet, Peter had some notions of who Jesus was. He had his own agenda. He wanted to follow Jesus from glory to glory. He saw Jesus as being God's Messiah King, and he wanted to float with him all the way to the throne of Jerusalem. And yet Jesus had to correct Peter's thinking. Jesus had to tell Peter and his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem not to ascend to the throne, but to be betrayed by his own, to suffer and die on a cross. Because what Jesus is going to teach them and us today, that before you will ever have a crown, there must be a cross. Now, Peter gets furious, but yet Jesus uses Peter's aggravation, hurt, to teach the disciples of Jesus an opportunity Uh, It took this opportunity to teach his disciples what it means to follow him. And here's what you want to understand this morning. Following Jesus is not the easiest thing, but it is the best thing. It comes with a real cost, and it leads to a personal crisis, but it's worth it. Number one, following Jesus comes with a real cost. Verse 23 The Bible says, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. Notice this is an open invitation of Jesus. If anybody wants to come, if anybody wants to follow me, if anybody wants to be a disciple of mine, you come. But yet what Jesus is going to do is he's going to give some requirements. He says, I am the Messiah King, but I'm not the Messiah King you have in mind. Following me is not just clicking a like button. It's not just raising your hand. Don't get... Listen, church, don't get your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus from what you see on television, what you read on social media, or what your friends may tell you. Find out what it means to follow Jesus from Jesus. Sadly, many churches in America have been soft-peddling the gospel, telling people that if you just simply accept Jesus as your Savior, that your life will be easier, your bank account will be bigger, you'll have peace and joy, you'll never be sick, and you'll float to eternity. That's not the Bible. As a matter of fact, there's another word for what that is. It's a Greek word, baloney. <laughs> Jesus here is not teaching us that if you just accept me, your life will be easier. No, he's going to tell you that if you trust me, it's going to get harder. Salvation is a free gift. It's a free gift of God's grace earned etern- entirely by the work of Jesus Christ. I cannot work my soul to save that work my Savior has done. 
I can't do that. I can't do anything. I can't bring anything to the table. Salvation is completely a free gift of God, but it comes with a cost after you receive it. See, salvation is free, Billy Graham said, but discipleship costs. And so Jesus in this moment is not going to be the only moment, but he's going to make sure that his disciples and anyone who would ever be a follower of his understands that you don't just rush into this. You have to consider the cost because here's what you have to understand. People that rush into it rush out of it really quick. So Jesus wants them to understand this is what it means to follow him. This is what it means. And and it's not as easy as you think it is. It comes with a cost. Now listen, I've tried to think of an illustration that would maybe help you understand this. Because following Jesus is awesome. It's worth it. But it's not easy. So here's an illustration. If it's horrible, I'm sorry, you'll forget it. It's free to make a baby. But it costs to raise one. Amen? It's free to make a baby, but it costs to raise one, but it's worth it. Now, as we think about maybe your own Christian experience here in, in America, especially in the, in the South and somewhat even like the very end of some parts of the, the, the Bible Belt, even in our experience, it's not very hard to be a Christian in America. I mean, none of you came here under threat of death or imprisonment or torture for showing up to church. We have it relatively easy. Now, I don't think it's going to be that way forever, and I think maybe in the next four to eight years it might get harder. But for most people, the hardest part of your Christianity is waking up early on Sunday morning to go to church. For many of us, what we think is persecution would be a great day in another nation for Christians in other parts of the world. Our struggle in our day is not the threat of persecution yet. You know what our struggle is, though? It's the threat of busyness, comfort, and luxury. We have it too easy. Jesus says there's a cost. Well, what's the cost? It's already on the screen. What is it? Number one, he says, if anyone is to come after me, let him do what? Let him deny himself. Now, he's not saying deny things, although for some of us it wouldn't hurt to deny ourselves some things. He's not saying deny feelings and repress those feelings. He's not talking about weight loss or austerity. What this word means to deny himself is it means this idea that we are to literally deny ourselves the throne of our life. That is, we deny the desire to be in control and we deny the desire to be Lord of our lives. That when you deny yourself, you are saying no to yourself so that you can say yes to him. Jesus here is not just someone who's important to your life. Jesus says, I must be your life. Following Jesus is not some good cause that you join or something good you want to be a part of. It's something that you must give your life to. And in Jesus' understanding, in his economy of ideas, you cannot be partially surrendered to him. You can't just pick and choose which things you like about him like he's some buffet line. To follow Jesus means that you give up your preferences in pursuit of his purposes. And there's no negotiation. None. When we as believers wake up, we should say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Jesus will kind of turn up the heat a little bit in Luke chapter 14 when he talks to his disciples and he says this. He says, if anyone comes after me, same kind of language, if anyone is to come after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying here? Is Jesus saying that we're to hate all of our family? And some of you say, I don't have a problem with that. Um, What he is saying here isn't so much that you are to hate them. What he is doing here is he's relativizing your relationships. 
that compared to all of the relationships in your life, your relationship with your family, your relationship with your friends, your relationship with your children, even the relationship you have with yourself, Jesus is supreme. That your love for Jesus is so much that compared to your love for other people, your love for other people looks like hate compared to your love for Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying is that in denying yourself, you may be called upon to make choices that in this world doesn't make sense to the people around us. But yet Jesus is deserving of our undivided attention and our total allegiance. And to be a follower of him, he must get both. Now, I was in my Wednesday small group, and one of the ladies in my group who actually may be in this service, she said, you know what, Pastor, what I've learned is that I love myself the most. And the truth is, we all love ourselves the most. You love yourself more than anybody else loves you. You are the most loyal to you. Even you say, some of you say, well, Pastor, I hate myself. I look in the mirror, and I hate myself. And well, sometimes what we perceive as hate is just love. It's just pride in a different way. And you are the one that has your own undivided attention. No one has undivided attention to yourself other than you. And no one has allegiance to yourself like you do. But Jesus here is saying here in this moment, we must transfer that undivided attention and total allegiance to him. And it, came, it may come with a, a cost. That cost might be the highest price relationally and the highest price physically. And then Jesus says, take up the cross. Take up your cross. Now, most people in Jerusalem in that day didn't run around with crosses hanging on their necks on a necklace. On a necklace. Most people in Jerusalem didn't run around with crosses on their backs. The only time you would ever see somebody in Jerusalem or someone in Israel have a cross on their back was a criminal who had just received a death sentence. Jesus went to the cross And if we are to follow him, we must follow him where he leads. And so in following him, we must go to the cross as well. Now, I'm not telling you you need to literally die on a cross to be saved. Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be right with God, but to follow him means that you must die with him. Here's the interesting thing. A man or woman on their way to crucifixion was compelled to abandon all earthly hopes and all ambitions. You know what a person who carried a cross was? A dead man walking. See, we just celebrated baptism. We've been very fortunate these past few weeks of celebrating baptisms. And do you know what baptism represents? You know, when we take someone and we bring them under the water and come up, maybe you come from a different background, maybe you were sprinkled or poured or something. Well, here, we believe in baptism by immersion, which, and the reason why we do is, is because it's a picture. And it's a picture that I was dead and I was raised up. That what I died, the old Alan died, and Jesus Christ in his power of the Holy Spirit raised me up to newness of life. So what you saw a moment ago when Leuva was baptized is you were seeing someone who died to herself and is now raised to live a life that she can live by faith in the Son of God who loved her and gave his life for her. And so... When baptism, when you're baptized, it's a symbol of what happened in your life. It's saying, God, I am dead to myself and alive to you. And maybe some of you, you need to take that next step of baptism. Well, here, he says, take up his cross. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that when Christ bids a man to follow him, he bids him to come and to die. You know, we live in a culture called the cancel culture. Cancel culture is when you boycott or silence someone or something for the threat of financial or popularity laws. Well, Jesus here is calling us to cancel ourselves, <laughs> to take up our cross, 
See, it's not just the cost of discipleship, but it's the cost of following a Savior who goes to the cross and demands that we follow him. And for some of you, following Jesus may have a different cost than someone else. Following Jesus may cost you your comfort. Following Jesus may cost you your your, your reputation. It may cost you job security. It may cost you your family and, and create family tensions. It may cost you a loss of friends or a loss of opportunity. And it may even cost you your life. But he says, if anyone is to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. But notice something else. Notice what else Jesus says. He must take up his cross daily. Every day, we have to crucify our agenda to his agenda. Every day. Listen, sometimes I have to do it multiple times during the day. Listen, Jesus is saying here that if you follow me, there are no vacations, no sick days, and no summer breaks. Every morning we must wake up and we must say, good morning, cross. Now, don't do that and look at your wife at the same time. (laughs) Every morning we must wake up to die to self and the world around us so that we can follow Jesus. You know that old hymn we used to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. You remember that one line where it says, the world behind me, the cross Before me, no turning back, no turning back. See, the cost of following Jesus is not something you just do once and and you pay it and it's over. No, it is a constant thing that every day we must die to ourselves. It is not just self-discipline, it is self-denial. Adrian Rogers said this, he says, In every heart there is a throne. Either self is on the throne and Christ is on the cross, Or Christ is on the throne and self is on the cross. You can't have it both ways. Missionary James Calvert, a missionary who served in the Philippine Islands, or the the, the Fiji Islands in the South Pacific, or the Pacific Ocean area uh, in the 19th century, uh, was a missionary. And and the Fiji Islands were kind of known to be filled with uh, savages. Uh, That's what they called them, cannibals. People that basically would eat people. And so anyone who was an outsider who stepped foot on the Fiji Islands, they would be killed and they would be eaten. Uh, And so you don't go to the Fiji Islands. Well, James Calvert boarded a ship, I think, on the outside of Australia uh, or some one of those other countries over there. And as he was getting on that, that boat with his family, the ship's captain looked at him. James Calvert came with his family to the Fiji Islands in order to share the gospel with them. And the the captain looked at this man and he says, you will lose your life and the lives of those who are with you if you go among those savages. You know what Calvert said? He said, sir, we died before we came. Following Jesus is a real cost. But following Jesus creates a personal crisis. Verse 24, if Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, will save it. The word life there is not the word bios, where we get biology from. It's not just your physical life. It's where we get our word, it's suke, it's where we get our word psychology from. Here he's talking about this suke is your identity, your personality, your selfhood. What makes you, you? Jesus here is not saying that I want you to lose your sense of being you. Jesus is not saying I want you to lose yourself to lose yourself. What Jesus is saying is this. Don't try to save your life 
by building your identity on gaining the things of the world. See, if you have been building your life and identity and security on anything other than Jesus, to follow Jesus will create a personal crisis. And here's the truth. Every one of us have built our lives, our identity and security on other things. All of us in this room have built our lives on family or career or possessions or comfort or money or control. And if, and if we think in our minds, if we could just get those things, if I could just find the right person and marry them and have children with them, and if I could just get the right job or if I could just buy the right house or, or have my house look like Chip and Joanna decorated it or if I could just live in comfort and, and have all this money, if I could just have those things or if I could just be that person, then I'll be a complete person then my life will matter. Then life will be worth living. But Jesus says here, what does it profit a person? What does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world but lose their soul? He says that if you gain the whole world, it will not be big enough. It will not be bright enough to give you what your soul is really longing for. No matter how many of these things you gain, it will never be enough to make you feel sure of who you are. So if you build your life on somebody loves me, somebody loves me, I'm in love. What happens when they don't love you anymore? What happens when they die? What happens when they're not able to give you the love that you need? Or let's say you build your life on having a great job and you, you, you go around and people, you, you, you give them your business card before they even look at you. And you're on LinkedIn, and you're so excited, and 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 your your Facebook profile, it says this, and I know that's for the older people, your Instagram or whatever, your TikTok, or I don't think they do those type of things in Snapchat, but you tell everybody that you are this, and I've made it to this status. Well, what happens if you get fired? What happens if you can't work anymore? What happens if you retire? Or what happens if you build your life on your family? And you build your life on your children. And what happens when your children grow up and move out of the house and don't like you anymore? What if you build your life on having money, but then you put all your money in AMC and GME, the GameStop, and you lose it all? What good is money when you're dying? Jesus here is saying that the world and everything in it is not enough and will never be enough to satisfy your heart. Whatever you're building your life on will never be enough. And so many of us are leveraging our lives to gain things that will ultimately be anchors to our soul. So Jesus here is saying, do not wager your life and eternity on gaining the world. If you try to save your life, you'll lose your life. But if you lose your life to him, you'll actually find your life. See, Jesus understands something. Jesus understands that we all tend to hold on to things so that they will give us what only Jesus can give us. You'll see this played out. As we read in verses 57 through 62, you'll see how this is played out. Jesus here is going to encounter three individuals, three men, and each of these three men, you're going to see how this personal crisis comes to a head. All three of these men would probably, no doubt, fill out a survey and say that they wanted to follow Jesus, but there's something that's going to hold these three men back. These three would-be disciples, all three of these men, wanted something before they would ever follow Jesus. Notice you have in verse 57, there's a guy that comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. If he came to church on a typical Sunday, what would we do? We would baptize him and have him share his testimony. 
Here's an example of a, of, a, of a person that we want, someone who says, I want to follow Jesus. He sounded impressive, but then Jesus looked at him and said, well, here's what you have to understand. I'm homeless. <laughs> All these guys with me, they're homeless too. We don't know where we're sleeping tonight. We don't know where we're going to be tomorrow. We have no future that's secure. But you can come with us. Verse 58, Jesus takes initiative. The, the, the impl- implication here is the guy left. So in verse 58, Jesus sees a guy there and he says, hey, epome, Greek, follow me. And the guy says, oh, Jesus, you just kind of sense this. Jesus, I will follow you, but let me first go bury my father. Now, there are some commentators that say that, that this guy's dad isn't even dead yet. Let me wait around. Let me wait till he's dead, and then I'll come and follow you. Now, why would he wait till he's dead? Or why would he go and bury him? Well, some scholars say that it was so that he can collect his inheritance. But what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Go to that verse, please, up on the screen. Verse 60. Leave the dead to bury the dead. So Jesus here is not saying, don't attend your parents' funeral. What he is saying is this. He's saying that he and his kingdom must take first priority. Then verse 61 and 62, there's another guy that comes to him and says, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me say farewell. Let me say goodbye to my family. Now, that seems like a reasonable request. I mean, request number, uh, the second guy's request was, hey, let me bury my dad. That seems reasonable. Request number three here is that I want to say goodbye. When you read Jesus's answer to him in verse 62, he says, no one who puts his hand in the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In the Allen version, basically Jesus says this, you ain't got time for that. You can't put your hand to the plow for the kingdom and keep looking back. You got to plow forward. So growing up in my house, we lived in Kentucky and Arkansas, those rural states, and we had home gardens. Anybody have a home garden growing up? Some of you do, some of you don't. Some of you, like, some of you middle school is like, what's a garden? Anyway. And so what we had in our house was a tiller. Remember those tillers? And so... When I was a little older, my dad said, hey, I want you to to try this tiller out. I'd watch him do it, and so he was trying to teach me how to be a farmer, which God gave me good looks and other talents, but not farming, okay? Never forget my first time. I was there, you know, and and it's tough tilling tilling ground. And and what happened is I would would look off to the side, and, 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 I mean, listen, you go back and look like a drunk just went ahead and just plowed the field there. Jesus says, listen, when you plow, you've got to watch straight. And you got, if you're going to line this sucker straight, you just got to keep looking. You ain't got time to look around. You can't be hokey pokey with this. You can't just put your right foot in and right foot out and turn yourself around. If you do, you're going to have a mess. Jesus is saying here, there cannot be divided allegiances. Each one of these gentlemen, each one of these men had a crisis. When God calls you, there's a crisis. Jesus here is not teaching that we're to give all our money away and be homeless. He's not telling you not to attend the funeral of your friends and he's, uh, of your parents. He's not telling you not to be friends with your friends. 
what he is doing in this particular episode is he's pointing out the fact that everyone has something they hold on to. Everybody has something that they build their identity on, that there's something in our hearts that is competing for affection and allegiance. And what Jesus is saying here is this, is that when you follow me, there will be a collision. And that collision will lead to a crisis. And I will tell you right now that if you have never felt that collision, you may not be a Christian. Because once you start living for Jesus and once you start following Jesus, it will inevitably be a collision. As I said with somebody earlier today, I said if you are not in collusion with Satan, you're going to have a collision with Satan. Where there's no movement in the Christian life, there's no friction. But when you're moving for Jesus, there will be friction. Church, I'm going to tell you right now that as we continue to make our move not to be the biggest church in town, not to be the brightest church in town, but to be a church that makes disciples of Jesus and helps the poor, when that happens, we're going to have all of hell and the forces of hell against us. And there will be a crisis. J.D. Greer says that many who initially came to Jesus with excitement ended up leaving him with delusion, with delusionment when they heard him speak about the cost of obedience. Many today will continue to be offended by Jesus' demand for total allegiance, preferring instead to cling to their illusions of safety. The gospel does not offer immediate ease, comfort, or safety. Instead, it shows us a Savior whose very life and death were marked by suffering and invites us to follow him. There will always be a time where we must let go of good things so that we can have the best things. Martin Luther in that hymn, A Mighty Fortress in Our God, has this line that says, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. See, good things become bad things when they keep you from the best things. And anything that keeps you from Jesus is a bad thing. So here's the question. What is keeping you back from being all in for Jesus? What is it? What's holding you back? Last year, I was with a missionary that was, has served for quite some time in Thailand. Thailand is a beautiful country, but it's also a pretty spiritually dark country. There, there's a lot of things that happen there that, that really are just horrific. And one of the biggest issues is sexual trafficking. And so this missionary who works with the company that, uh, that we're involved with, the International Mission Board, uh, was telling me a story of a, a couple, a few years ago, wasn't very long ago, that he was working with some other, another organization and they were freeing some of these women from the sex traffic slavery. And so this particular group had met a guy that was not the upper guy, but kind of a, a lower middle guy that was managing these women. He was a pimp, okay? And so they kind of befriended him somehow, some way, and, and they basically said, hey, we want to free these women. We'll, we'll pay you to, to, to let us free these women. And, and so the pimp says, well, you know, uh, there's one particular young lady, $100. You think about that just for a moment. $100. So they, they gave him the $100. And here's what the guy said. He says, listen, you have no time. If my boss finds out that I did this, the way I did this, it's going to be really, really bad for me. So you just got to go immediately. And so they, my, my friend and, and another person was there, and they go to this young lady, and they tell her, listen, 
we've just talked to so-and-so. We have set you free. We we have paid for you to get out of here. You are free, but we have to leave immediately. We have to leave quickly. We don't pass go. Don't collect $200. We got to go. We got to get out of here. And she said, wait, wait one second. Um, Can I get my things? And they said, no, you don't have time to get your things. And she said, well, what about my cell phone? I've got to have my cell phone. And they said, well, where's your cell phone? She said, well, it's, it's in another place. It was going to take them a, a while to get. And, and he said, no, we, we, we don't have time for that. You, you can't take that. We're just going to have to go. We'll, we'll get you something else down the road. You can't do that. And she looked at him and she said, well, I won't go without it. I won't go without it. He looked at her and he says, you are serious. You will not go to freedom. You won't go with us because of that cell phone. She says, no, and she refused to go. Real story, true story. What she thought would be death, giving up her cell phone, was actually life. And what she thought was life was actually death. And the question I have is this, is that we listen to this story and we say, how crazy would this woman be? And the question I have for you is that, yeah, it's crazy, but what are you holding on to? Because Jesus has offered you freedom. He's paid the price for your freedom. He's saying, just follow me. But we hold on to stuff. And there's that crisis. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will really be yours. Nothing in, nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else is thrown in. I told you following Jesus comes with a real cost. Following Jesus will create a personal crisis. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Verse 27, Jesus made a promise. He says, truly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now what does this mean? Some have interpreted this to mean that the current generation wouldn't pass away until Jesus returned to the earth. But that's not what he was saying. We know that in reality. As the early church began to think about this verse, they began to think more deeply, especially after those who were of Jesus' generation passed away. And they knew that what Jesus was saying here meant something else. They understood that the kingdom of God began in weakness on the cross, but it wouldn't end that way. Yes, they would see the power of the resurrection. They would see the church multiply and, and it grow. But they also knew that someday, some glorious day, Jesus would return and usher in a new heaven and a new earth and love will triumph over hate and life will triumph over death. They knew that Jesus was worth it, that whatever they gave up, whatever cost they had to pay, Jesus was worth it. You know, just this week, I was listening to people that are in North Africa, Middle East, 
who've come to Christ, Muslims who've come to Christ, one of the first lessons they teach a new believer with a Muslim background is they teach them about the cost of following Jesus. But they also tell them about the tremendous worth of following Jesus. And I heard story after story. And over the years as we've been involved in, in, in with air, people with Muslim backgrounds, I've heard these people that have come to Christ and they have, they have literally paid the highest of price. And each and every one of them have said, he is worth it. Nick Ripkin, who wrote a book that I would commend to all of you called The Insanity of God, who is a man who served with the International Mission Board and lost his son serving on the field, went through so many horrible circumstances. You've already seen this quote, but here's what he said. He says, before the resurrection, there must be a crucifixion. See, before you will ever experience the life that you are longing to live, you must relinquish the life that you have. You must give up your rights, admit that you cannot save yourself and that you need a Savior, and then you must be willing to surrender your life to Him, pick up your cross daily, and follow Him wherever He leads. The question is, have you done that? Or are you like that poor old lady in Thailand that's holding on to something else? See, there'll never be a resurrection in your life until there's a crucifixion. Until you've come to that place of surrender, you'll never experience the new life of Jesus. And I want to invite you to do that today. Wherever you are, whether you're online or in the room, I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, if you're feeling that tug of the Holy Spirit, that, that feeling, that, that weird feeling inside, that, that burden, almost as if you feel like there's something stuck in your throat. That may be the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And he's saying, I am who that guy's saying I am. I'm real. Trust me. Stop fighting. Stop running. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And if that is, then I would encourage you to pray. Maybe a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. My life is a crisis. I believe that Jesus you are who you say you are that you are the son of God I believe that you died on the cross I believe that you rose from the dead and today I surrender my life to you I lay it down I lay it all down to you God take my life save me forgive me and use me Father do that work only you can do today in Jesus name thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.